Great Sugar Booger, ladies and gentlemen, season four of Chewing the Gristle. We've got some magnificent guests queued up and ready to roll. Of course, Chewing the Gristle, it's guitar-oriented, but we talk about whatever. Can you dig it? And this glorious broadcast, if you will, is brought to us by our friends at Wildwood Guitars of Louisville, Colorado, bringing you such a variety of glorious instruments, it'll tempt your mind, body, and soul. And our friends at Fishman Transducers, beautiful Andover, Massachusetts, providing all kinds of -of state-of-the-art accoutrement to take your acoustic instrument and fire it up to blast people's brains into submission. And of course, their pickups, especially those with the Gristletone moniker, are fantastic. Let's get to it, folks. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls and creatures of both night and day, once again, we gather around the Gristle Campfire for chewing the gristle this week, guitar player extraordinaire, heck of a nice guy, and also a fellow largeman, <laughs> Val McCallum. You've seen him on stage with everyone from Jackson Brown to Vonda Shepard, great guitar player, very cool guy. This week, Val McCallum. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and creatures of the night, welcome once again to another festive installment of Chewing the Gristle with yours truly, Gregory Koch. I'm here with Val McCallum, guitar player extraordinaire, journeyman. He's played with everyone and their brother and sister. And uh, Val, the first time I think we actually met, well, the first time I actually saw you in person, unbeknownst to you, is that you were playing with Ivan Neville, touring with, uh, opening up for Little Feet at the, and I saw it at Riverside Theater in, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, probably 1988 or 89. Yes. And I said, who's that tall son of a bitch who's throwing it down like a Sasquatch in heat? And I, <laughs> and I would later realize it's the one and only. And then, of course, we met the first time, I think, at the Troubadour when I was out there playing with William Porter. Oh, Yes. And uh, anywho, it's so great to catch up with you here. And uh, I'm just fascinated to just sit down and talk with you for a little bit. Yeah, what's going on? What have you been up to? I've been, uh, well, I've just been enjoying being home. I did quite a bit of touring with Jackson Brown this year, um, much more than I usually do because I have a 15-year-old daughter that I like to watch grow up. Um, yes. But I do. I did been doing more and more of of it with Jackson because he's getting older, and I and I just love him. So um, we we did a lot of gigs, and we opened up for James Taylor, and had a really good old time the last couple of years. I was sad that when you when that show came to Milwaukee, that you were not with Mr. Brown, but he sounded fantastic. I mean, he, I mean, he still sings. Oh, you were there. Yeah, it was it was an exceptional show. He was he was great, and uh, yeah. it would have been even been better if you were there. But doggone it, uh, he did a great job, and I was I, I dug it. You know, the first concert I ever saw really was Jackson Brown at uh, at Summerfest, probably nineteen seventy nine. As a matter of fact. amazing with David Lindley. Uh, yes, read the hell out of the blues. Yes, it was it was a glorious glorious show. Yeah. 
That's awesome. Summerfest. I used to be in a band called the Wigs from Milwaukee. No kidding. That is you play with the Wigs. I was in the Wigs um, uh, when I was very young, like 21, 22, that those guys, three guys from, uh, from Milwaukee came to LA and they, uh, befriended, um, my friend's dad, who was Ringo's lawyer. And, um, they lived at, his name was Bruce Graykel. He is Bruce Graykel. And they lived, the Wigs lived in his basement for, you know, they came to LA and, and Bruce tried to get him a record deal. And, um, and I was just, you know, friends with Bruce's son. So I ended up like joining up with those guys. They played at my high school dance. Are you kidding? No, serious. Serious is a hard. I love that band. They were good. Yeah. They had great. I got, to, I got, I got to know Marty Ross a bit. Uh, yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't think I really knew Jim all that well, but I, I, I'd run into Marty every now and again. He'd come back wow. and do various different things, but yeah, crazy small world. Really small world, and I was so young, and I remember like coming playing Summerfest with those guys, and just having so much fun, and like drinking point beer, and just oh my god, acting. Are you ready to get even more weird? Is that I went to school in Stevens Point where they make point beer. <laughs> Amazing! I I like that beer. It was good. Yes, you know it, it would be every year when they would come out with Point Bach, it would be. Uh, it would be a thing of majesty. And, and unfortunately, point. yes, point block when it would come out, it would be in the springtime and it would be whispered about like first hour you're in college, you're, you're, you're class. Hey, I think Bach comes out today. Wow. And then as soon as it was verified, it's like the rest of the classes were optional and the, <laughs> the, the quaffing of that myth, mystical beverage, what was on the, uh, the docket for the next several days. But be that as it may. Yeah, it's crazy. That's crazy small world stuff. Of course, that was back in the day. I mean, I, I, when I mentioned the fact that I saw them at my high school dance, that was such a thing is that bands would play at your high school. And that was kind of, you know, our entree. I don't know about you, but that was one of my entrees into seeing live music and just thinking this is some of the coolest shit ever. You can go and see it. Wow. Go right up to the front and check this band out. And people wanted to be there and they're dancing and having a good time. And it was. Yeah. It was a thing. And of course, you know, my kids and I'm sure, you know, your kids, they don't know anything about that. They go to the, it's always DJs, even at weddings now. I mean, weddings is another thing. You'd see people loading in the gear like, oh my God, look at the real guitars and drums and stuff. And that was, and it was glorious. And now all that stuff is, it's just different. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How about Teddy's bar? Teddy's. Yes. We played there and people would send shots of, of alcohol on trays in between every song. It was difficult to get through the entire show. I remember it was because it was just be, you know, young guys behaving appropriately. And it was so fun. I'm anyway. going to make it, I'm going to make it even weirder. Now are you ready? I just played at the old Teddy's last week <laughs> and Willie Porter did the show with us. And he says, okay. hello, by the way. Oh, I love Willie Porter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did uh, we did a show down in Chicago, and then we did it up at Shank Hall. It's called Shank Hall now, by the way. Oh, I, I played at Shank Hall. I had no idea that was the same place. The Incredible. old Teddy's, yep. Wow. So, that's amazing. Okay. It's a crazy small world is what it is. It is. I love this. So tell me a little bit about the jack shit. I want to see you guys in the live performance. I'd love to come up and... And be one of the honorary shittists. If oh, you would, you would be the best 
shitty guest ever. <laughs> I, I would love it. Oh my God. Um, we just have a great time. We've been doing it for over 20 years and we started the band when we were doing the show for the music for the TV show, Ally McBeal. Right. Yeah. And I was playing guitar with, uh, Vonda Shepard and, um, I, yeah, and uh, the three of us, it's Pete Thomas and Davey Farragher who play with Elvis Costello and the Attractions. Pete is an original attraction, the drummer, Pete, and Davey is just an amazing bass player, L.A. bass player who he um, started the band Cracker and played with John Hyatt and lots of records. He's an incredible musician. And um, we were doing that show and like sitting around in the dressing room waiting for our little scene on Ally McBeal. You know, you wait 14 hours to go and be in, in the little bar scene with Vonda Shepard, who we played with. But uh, all that sitting around, we put together jack shit. And, um, and here we are, like over 20 years later, still playing. That's some crazy activity. It's You've played with so many different people over the years, and I'm just wondering, I mean, obviously you don't want to get yourself in trouble, but certain experiences obviously were probably more fun than others, and just kind of describe how you got to approach all these different things differently in, in terms of, I mean, so many times you're playing with a singer-songwriter, and it's just like you're you're there totally, of course, you're, you're always there to support the song and all that other kind of stuff, but there's other people that, that are more amenable to musicianship other than just accompaniment, right? Yeah. And so describe kind of the, the variations you've experienced over the years. Well, I mean, uh, you know, for a long time, I was always playing with like with the gals, you know, and like with Vonda Shepard and and, um, uh, you know, different, even or just around town stuff. I was always like ending up like being sort of the right hand man to different girl singers and different women and stuff. And, and I, and I remember at a certain point I was like, God, I wish I could be in a band with, with guys, you know, like just dudes. <laughs> and I, the moment that happened was when Vonda, who I love, she's awesome. But she, she asked me after a certain gig, she said, you know, you never look at me on stage anymore. And, uh, and that, that it occurred to me that I, I don't think the, uh, a dude's going to ever ask, say that to me, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and I, I was, we had, you know, I'd played with her for seven years and there was certain things that bothered me about, I'm sure me, I bothered her too, but I, I, I could not look at her on stage anymore. I, that was actually a thing because, <laughs> it, you know, she, because I would look at her and then she would give me a look back and and the look that she gave me back sort of felt like she was saying, you know, you know, good job, grasshopper, you know, kind of like uh, and, and I don't know what she was thinking, but you know how it is when you play with someone for that long, you know, you start, you know, sure, you know, it's just too long. You should never play with anybody for more than seven years, although I have played <laughs> with Jackson for almost 20 years and I really, you know, uh, I, you know. He's one of those, one of the good gigs, you know, because he's like, he's, uh, he loves guitar. He loves guitar soloing. He's big on like tone. So he'll get up in your shit about your tone, you know, like, what are you playing through exactly today? What is that? Where's the jazz master? Why, why aren't you playing that's, you know, what you used on that song or, you know, he's just deep into it. But he's also, I just have so much respect for him as a, uh, an arranger and like his 
his vocal harmonies and his uh, just, you know, I mean, he'll drive you nutty and say stuff that makes you crazy. You know, don't play like single notes, you know, don't play, you know, or like stuff to, to hog tie you, you know, but at the end, at the end of the day, I always feel like ah, he was right, you know? Um, so I'm, I'm really lucky to be still working with him and, um, uh, you know, I forgot the question, but, uh, am I answering the question? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Just, just basically just asking you about the different dynamics between all the different people you've played with and you're totally answering it. So that's yeah. all good. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, yeah. Then, and then just to your point too, about, you know, how Jackson's cool with guitar solos and wants guitar thing. Cause there's certainly, you know, artists that like just want the guitar as a, as a textural device and, and want like, you know, no kind of identifiable utterances if possible. <laughs> Other exactly. than, you know what I mean? Oh my God. Do I ever, a friend of mine just called me. I'm not going to mention the name, but I know that he's just, he's a really brilliant, uh, composer and he call I don't know why he calls me because I sit down with the guitar he puts a big chart in front of me which he knows I can't read and I just laugh at that and I go okay and then as soon as I play he's looking at me because I know it's everything I'm doing is driving him crazy like it's stepping on something um you know uh, of that of in his his thing you know but um yeah, there's so many situations you get in where you wonder, like, why did he call me? You know, you, you know, I know I don't know a lot of musical theory, but I know he's what he's wanting is the word tacit. Oh <laughs> 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 no, my god. That reminds me of a funny story. Um you mentioned tacit. You know, you know, Paul Barrera was telling me a story one time about the fact that, you know, he'd get called to do sessions and he couldn't he couldn't sight read either. And so he'd be, be looking at these charts and at one point it would say tacit and he thought it, it was Tackett, but Fred, it was Fred Tackett. <laughs> yeah. Do you have Fred Tackett's number? <laughs> he can read. <laughs> Fred Tackett, oh. boy, he was on so many records. What a, he's amazing. Yes. And yes. Paul Barrere too. I, man, uh, we had such a good time with Little Feet and that was put kind of my, first touring experience we were out with those guys for a long time with ivan neville right that was a great show by the way oh wow you know I, it's funny you know how it is you hear you you remember i mean i feel like i've grown so much as a player of just you know l learning how to like not be like frantic and try to blow every play every note i can play you know as with every opportunity i get that's right. what i that's what i remember thinking I was doing back then, you know, and, um, I, Ivan recently sent me like a board tape of a gig we did somewhere. And I was kind of shocked at how good it was. It was actually, I wasn't as dreadful as I remembered. <laughs> That's kind of funny though, isn't it? I mean, a lot of times, you know, as we get older, we think, you know, certainly you mature and you approach music, you know, with, with more years behind you and all that kind of stuff. And then you have a tendency to think that everything you did prior was, <laughs> not, not any of that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and then you'll hear something like out of the blue like that. It's like, well, no, I mean, and then, and then sometimes it's even a little depressing. Cause like, God, I really haven't gotten that much better. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. It's so funny. That's so true. Or now I'm so concerned with like being tasteful that I'll hear myself and I'm like, good Lord. Like, light a fire under your ass for fuck's sake. I mean, you know, <laughs> like, it's, it's funny. 
Well, that's the thing, is it? It's like, you know, you, you want to be tasteful. And people are like, why don't you play flashy? And then you and then you play a little bit of flash. Like, God, you know, could you play less? And then you're just like, you know what? Yeah. That, that's why it's so great when, you you know, I've been doing my old band for so long. It's just like, you know, tonight I felt like doing it like this. And, you know. Exactly. Tomorrow it might be something else, but it's whatever moves you in the moms, as, the, and, as it were. And the other thing I recommend, first, having your own gig but have an alter ego. So in Jack shit, I'm a, I'm a character. His name is Bo shit. And, um, so I, I don't really, I don't take responsibility for what he does and he doesn't care about subtlety or like, you know, being tasteful in a, you know, so it's great. I can just go and make a complete ass of myself. (laughs) Delicious. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, you've been yeah. playing a, a Firebird for that gig for for a lot of, or do you just change it up all the time? Some of the things I've seen, you've been playing a Firebird. Yeah, I played a Firebird for a long time, and I kind of retired it a few years ago. Um, I did, I, you know, yeah, it comes back sometimes, but I, I really, I got into um, this gold top. I have a couple gold tops, and of course, the Telecaster, which I just, if I had to have one thing, it's it's a telecaster just makes me comfortable even though it's bright and i know i'm hurting people's eyeballs with my tone sometimes but um yeah so uh but i have these two firebirds that are amazing i do play the firebird with jackson quite a bit um and and, um my firebirds are pretty modified the the, my favorite one has old humbuckers in it so but it's still yeah, it still sounds like a Firebird. It's still kind of more like maybe an SG, but a Firebird kind of thing. But I do love them because they're big, and I'm tall, so the Firebird makes me feel less like lurch, you know. Yes. Well, I, I can understand. I am the same, the same proportion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I used to get you know people used to call me lurch in high school. I, I didn't enjoy that really. I didn't. No. Think that, that's not fun. That's not a good one. I got lurch and then, you know, and then, you know, somebody, then it went from that to big bird, you know? So I don't know if I like that (laughs) either. (laughs) Well, it's interesting because every now and again, I'll run across from somebody from high school and they'll call me Scooby because I used to do a really good Scooby-Doo impression. (laughs) And they'll be like, Hey Scooby. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? I'm like, Oh, that's right. Like glad, glad things haven't changed in 30 some odd years. I haven't evolved past scooby in their eyes but you know as my wife says that's on them (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome so i see you're kind of getting rid of a little bit of gear here and there you probably have so much shit it's unbelievable so what i kind of go through the same thing myself i'll get a bunch of stuff and i'll get rid of it so what what is your chronic your criteria what's your mindset at this point in time as far as the acquisition and the ridding of gear I'm just addicted to gear and I, I just love guitars and nothing makes me happier than just, uh, just a new guitar around the house. You know, it just, I, you know, I keep, uh, and I don't, I don't allow myself to just to, to get more guitars without letting some go. Yeah, I just can't, I don't have room. I don't have room. So I let go of amazing stuff. And, um, yeah, so it's, it's a funny thing. Cause I, you know, doing it online, selling guitars on Instagram and Facebook, just people, it's like, are you a guitar player or are you a dealer? You know, because I do, you know, I do go through, I have fire sales where it's just like lots of stuff. Right. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's a 
it's kind of a a pretty severe case of of gas you know acquisition yeah i'm i'm the same way i know i've been pretty good as of late i did fall victim to Oh, it's over here. I, 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 last week I was in a store and, you know, I always wanted one of the Keith Richards, uh, telecustoms for the longest time. I wanted nothing to do with it. And then all of a sudden I bought this 74 strat, you know, about two years ago and it was clean. It weighs like nothing, you know, and you know, typically a, a 70 strat isn't something I would gravitate towards. Except, except that, you know, Hendricks, of course, had the big headstock, Richie Blackmore, Robin Trower. There's a thing about the big headstock, right? So I picked up the guitar and it was really light. And I was like, what's the deal with this guitar? Oh, it was a single owner, you know, down in Texas. We got it. And it was immaculate. And I plugged it in. It still has a three-way toggle switch, which I prefer. And I've left it, you know. And, uh, and so I just, I had to get it. So then I had to think about, well, not all 70s guitars are bad, right? strats and, and or fenders so then i came across um there, it's it's sherwood green someone had taken off the black paint or the walnut paint and had repainted it's a 74 tele custom in sherwood green and i just i had to have it well i saw you playing it and i i and i saw that you playing that strat a long a while ago when you got it too and i'm i doing the same thing i'm i'm in a 70s kick and i recently got a custom 73 same thing hump uh, seth lover humbucker in the front and a, and um I, I i almost let it go but then i you know i'm gear, gearing up for some jack shit shows and i plugged it in to a 74 a 73 vibrolux that i just got. Oh. <laughs> silver face vibrolux check this out i got from uh, i have a brilliant jazz guitar player friend in town named jimmy fox who played with Frank Sinatra Jr. He's, I've been friends with him since high school. He's an amazing guitar player. And I ended up doing a trade with him, and it's, it's Bob Bain, the famous guitar player from, you know, studio musician who played on uh, uh, Peter Gunn and tons of TV stuff. Okay, it, yeah, yeah. It's his amp from The Tonight Show. He was The Tonight Show guitar player. So, so I've got this Vibrolux, and which I really think the Silver Face amps as long as they don't have the master volume have like, they have a thing, you know, it's like a high, like a hi-fi thing or something. And um, when you pair them up with a seventies guitar or a telly or a strat, that's like a whole like thing. It reminds me of like hee-haw or something, or like, you know, that seventies, all those guys were playing that gear, you know, the buck exactly. Yeah. So I don't poo poo that stuff at all. I'm kind of well, plus, plus the price is right you know, on all that stuff because they haven't, you know, the, the cork sniffers haven't, haven't, you know, scammed it all yet. So you can get oh, them for, for a reasonable price. I was just in a store dropping off a guitar to get uh, repaired and they had a Barney Kessel in there. I said, what's the deal with the Barney Kessel? And he's like, it's a 68. I'm like, cool. How much do you want for it? And he said, he said, well, I'm trying to get 55. I, I you know, I try to at least get 48. And, and of course my mind immediately goes, is he talking about 55 grand? He's like, no, he's talking about, he's talking about five grand. It's like, that's totally doable. And isn't that weird? We've gotten to the point where it's like, oh, five grand. That's, that's not so bad. Yeah. Five grand is <laughs> like 500 bucks. Right. Yeah. I know. Well, that's because that had the thinner neck, which I also don't mind. And if that, when they get past that 64 or whatever, you know, and I've, I've got some, I just got an Epiphone Riviera. It's a blonde one. 
uh, 67, which I'm in love with. It's got a skinny neck. And guys are like, oh, how do you play that skinny neck? I, I just don't care. It's just if, it's, if, it has a good, if it has a good vibe, you know. I like big necks. I like small necks. As you said, if it feels right and the whole guitar as a whole is, is, is giving me the thing, giving me the feels, I'm good. Right? Yeah. Yeah, the guitar thing never. I mean, but you know what? There are worse afflictions that we could have other than <laughs> getting guitars, right? Am I right or am I right? Plus, it's tax deductible. You know, no these are the things, kidding. No these are the kidding. things I tell myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, well, it's it's true. I mean, it, the the prices don't really go down, you know. Right. Yeah. So it's kind of like money in the bank, if not a little better sometimes, if you get the right thing. Now, do you do it? Like, I, I don't really, I haven't done this um, because it just seems weird to do it. But but I know other people have done it after the fact where I say, don't say that this gear is mine. Just sell it for what it is. I don't want any kind of weird, you know, uh, yeah. try, trying to charge more because it's mine. But other people do and they make a lot. I mean, I saw, I don't, you know, Robert Ford sold an amp the other day because I because we were talking about it. Uh, a while back, as I said, he's like, you ever play those custom Vibroluxes? I was like, that was my main amp for years. Fender made that amp between like 96 and I don't know, maybe they stopped doing it about 10 years ago. And, and uh, they had the white knobs on it. And, the, and, the, and they were more like a tweed amp because they had the negative feedback thing off. So you could crank them up and it'd be like a ple plexi with reverb. They were really cool. And he, he got one. He's like, you can get them for like 800 bucks. I'm like, yeah, I know. I just bought another one. And then he had someone modify it a little bit or whatever, but he, but it sold online, and I don't know how much the modification cost it, but that amp sold for three grand. Yeah, and I'm and I'm thinking, well, obviously, it was because it was Robbins, which I don't, I'm not, I don't fault anybody for that because if certainly the next guy would sell it for more because it was Robbins, so you you might as well do it if it's yours. But do you do it do that, or how do you price your stuff when you sell? Do you just want to get rid of it for a fair price, or yeah, no, I just sell it for for what I paid for it, you know, that's, I just, if I can get out of it and I usually don't, I usually end up not getting what I paid for it, but I've been really lucky. I mean, I've been doing this for so long. I do have some vintage guitars that have really appreciated. So obviously that stuff I'll try to get good money for. And I'm actually, you know, where my wife and I ended up buying the house next door to our house here and we're doing construction and all of a sudden I'm like looking at guitars, <laughs> just, you know, it's getting a little tight, but I, I'm trying like hell not to, because I just, you know, it doesn't feel like the right time to be letting go of them, you know? Um, but um, yeah, you know, it's, it's a funny thing, you know, like I do consign guitars sometimes if I just don't feel like dealing with it, you know, and I've got a, a buddy here in town who'll consign them and then he he will attach my name to him and you know i don't know if that helps or whatever but um you know i mean i used to think i'd see somebody selling a guitar and i think well if he's selling it you know uh, how good could it be you know but the oh yeah, there's that yeah yeah but in my case i mean i only buy it because i like it in the first place and yeah and, uh, so really i'm selling it to make room you know <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of funny when you when you put them away and very you know because obviously it's hard to have all the guitars out at, at any given time, so they're kind of stashed away. And then you'll remember, oh, that one guitar, and you open it up, it's like it's like getting a new guitar again. <laughs> oh, I know, I know. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing, isn't it, Greg? Oh, it's God. fantastic. Well, we're we're in the process of because during during COVID, 
you know, I was doing all the live streams from the house. And so I took over this area of the house. So the dining room's kind of like right here. And my son's drum kit is right here. So we've kind of taken over this room and most of the dining room, which of course my wife was just thrilled about. So she kept on saying, get your shit out of here. Why don't you, why don't you build something over the garage? So long, long story short, we're in the midst of they they've raised our garage and now they've, now we're in the process of we're going to have the garage and there's going to be a room over it, uh, which of course, of course, according to the f- officials from our city, it's only for storage. Just FYI. that's right, that's right. Uh, but uh, that's 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 where I'm going to be storing my guitars up there in a uh, the climate controlled environment. But I'm I am looking forward to having a place where I can just have them all out. I can go. Oh, there's that one. I know. I know that's what I'm doing in the house next door. It's like, I've got a really big, there was a ballet studio um, kind of underground. It's a good size room and it's kind of a strange, large triangular shape, which I was thinking, Oh, that's, this is going to be great for recording. And then I brought in some guys to discuss maybe having a studio, building a studio build. And they said, well, actually the, the worst shape you could have for a studio is a triangle, you know? So I'm like, Oh, awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Now are you, are you real technically astute when it comes to running like pro tools, recording stuff or I'm terrible, but I do, I do it. And, you know, I was the last guy to get, you know, an email address, you know, and I was the last guy to get a laptop and a last guy to get a home studio. But, um, I finally did about 12, 13 years ago. And now I have very minimal stuff, but I'm, I'm, you know, it's been a really fun learning process and I can totally play on people's records from home now. And, and the thing that I've learned that I appreciate the most is like, I would record myself and think, that I was a shitty engineer and that it just, I, you know, it didn't sound amazing ever. I, you know, it never sounds like when you go into a studio with a great engineer and they get a sound on you, it's it's not sounding like that, you know, but I I've recorded tracks and then sent them and then heard them mixed on records and like where, wow, it, it came out sounding like that because the, the mixing engineer just was great. So now I know that if you're not, distorting it you know um it can it's probably really good you know so i mean that yeah i've been it's been a constant learning process and i get a little bit of new gear at a time i just got some api mic pre stuff and you know and eqs and that's a whole you know i have a a new respect oh i've always respected good engineers but it's that's you really have to know what the hell you're doing with that stuff. But it's amazing if you're I'm, my hearing is bad. So I'm always trying to brighten up, trying to get that beautiful electric sound. And I end up brightening it up and then sounding good while I'm doing it. And I'm committed to it. And then I hear it back an hour later after dinner. And that's like, oh, my God, it's so bright. It's, you know, like <laughs> make you crazy. Now, when you're playing on, on, on someone's record, per se, do you, do you add? do you give them like pretty just like dry tracks or do you add all the secret sauce and then they can, cause you want it to be what from you want home, it to be. Yeah. Like from home, you know, occasionally they'll say, Oh, don't put reverb on it or don't put delay on it. You know, uh, very occasionally. Um, but in general, I just, yeah, I just, just I do mean, your I, thing. Yeah. I just do my thing. I, I'm, 
I'm ashamed of how much delay and reverb I put on stuff. So I'm not surprised people have said that because it's such, I'm just such a, a whore for reverb and, and, to, and to, you know, I just, you know, I can't, but I'm trying to wean myself off it because it seems like my favorite guys, like, you know, Michael Landau and guys around here that, that I go, well, he's like, I don't go out and hear music that often, but when I hear him, I've always associated him to have like a lot of that, but he's not really like definitely not a lot of delay, you know, like it's uh, it's a very pure thing and I'm trying to get there myself, you know, the easier for recording to, to like lose that for playing live. I'm really hooked on having some delay and ambience. Some, yes. You know, the, the moisture, as I like to say. Exactly. I just, I got to have it. Put me in the bottom of the Grand Canyon and I'd be just fine. <laughs> we interrupt this regularly scheduled gristle-infested conversation to give a special shout-out to our friends at Fishman Transducers, makers of the Greg Koch Signature Fluence Gristle Tone Pickup Set. Can you dig that? And our friends at Wildwood Guitars of Louisville, Colorado, Bringing the heat in the shadow of the Rocky Mountains. Now, how about uh, screaming shit boxes on the floor? Do you uh, what's your pedal board like? Do, do you like to use a bunch of stuff, or you kind of go in phases, or do you like to just plug straight in? I suppose it's it's all of the above. Um, well, you know, it's funny for recording now. Like, I just discovered a great direct sound. Like, I didn't know. I just plugged into this little mic pre that I use for playing bass guitar, and I got this great sound with, with nothing on it. So all of a sudden, I'm thinking. Wow, I'm going to do that. But in general, I like I like a Menatone Red Snapper, which is my it's like I don't like anything else. I have lots of other stuff, but that's like my favorite dirt box. That yeah, I love it and it, it's not a lot of gain, but if you turn the gain all the way up, it's like a kind of a really nice sounding gain. And um but in general, I I turn the gain up for single coils and down for humbuckers, I, I keep a couple of them on my Jackson board. And I, and then I use like clean boost pedals. Um, uh, right now I've got my TS nine tube screamer that I bought when I was 17 and at West music, I pulled that out and I, you know, I kind of like that. I mean, it's got that, that weird mid range thing, but God, it's, it's use, I could use that anywhere and be, and yep. probably find joy. Exactly. You know? So this, what's it called? Menator Red Snapper? Yeah, Menatone. Menatone. Yeah, the Red Snapper. Have you not plugged into one of those, Greg? I, I have not. What do you play through? Well, I have a, a buddy of mine from college who's kind of like a, a pedal tone savant, uh, has made me a pedal years ago and... Um, an overdrive pedal, which we called the diabolical gristle tone manipulator, of course. And then he had this uh, clean boost, uh, which he called the luxury drive. And at one point I go, Hey, what, what if we did a pedal where we combined that overdrive with the clean boost? And that became the gristle King. So I've been using that pedal as, as my main source of filth for probably, probably about 20 years. Uh, when I did the, when, when I did the amp with the, um, the namesake people with my same name from, from, uh, from uh, Holland. I really liked the overdrive on the amp, which was unusual for me. Uh, so 
I've, I, for a long time, I was just using the amp with the stuff on it and just plugging straight into the amp. Uh, but then during COVID, I got, I got into using pedals again and kind of splitting the signal and yada, yada, yada. So I've been using the gristle, the gristle King again, but wow, uh, I got to try that. I know a guy I'll set you up. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny, like recording, I bet you could, you could use anything. Like, it seems like recording, I'll, I'll try different stuff. Cause you, you know, can manipulate it. And I, I, there's one that I really like. It's unusual. It's by the, the Catalan bread. Oh yeah. Yeah. Company. And it's called the Royal Albert hall, which is their copy of the Jimmy page sound. High Watt sound, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That's a cool box. It's really musical. I like that one, but, um, and I'm, you know, for delay, I like that big green DL4 delay pedal. Uh, and I I've, I don't want to like it because they break down in faraway lands and then you're really bumming. But I discovered that by not using the pedal, the Voodoo Labs power supply jack to power it, and by using the wall wart that comes with the pedal when you buy it, I, it's never broken that since then I'm knocking on every piece of wood, but uh, so I, I'm totally addicted to that box. Like I don't like anything else for live playing. Got you. But, um, yeah, so you're, talking, mean, you're talking about the, uh, the line six thing, right? The big, yeah, green that, line, yeah. the big green line six with three, yeah, yeah. three, uh, buttons. Yeah. Four buttons. Yeah. That's a good one by Jimmy. Yeah. Just those two things, delay and overdrive. And I'm pretty happy. But I have more, obviously, on the on the ray. I've got tremolo and um, re- reverb and a volume pedal, which I'm also trying to wean myself off of the volume pedal, which I like. But it seems like whenever I have a problem and my rig has a problem, a lot of times it's the volume pedal. Like, Not interesting. Or whether it's just a jack on it gone bad or something. So. So you're weaning yourself off that device. I'm trying to, because there's nothing worse than like being on stage and poor Jackson's up there telling a story, like an intimate story about his grandmother or something. And my guitar is going, you know, (laughs) (laughs) making all these, oh my God. So when that happens, I'm like, I'm I'm looking at trying, I just, I need to go direct into the amp maybe, you know? (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. It's an endless struggle with the gear, really, if we think, if we're honest. It really is. It really is. It's always some damn thing. <laughs> yeah. It just, as long as that damn thing doesn't rear its head and when there's people looking at you. Like, right. Like exactly. thou- a thousand people. <laughs> or even t- a hundred people in a, in a little club. Even worse, <laughs> almost. <laughs> And then I'm on my hands and knees with my butt crack hanging out and like sweats like sprinkling off of me. Yes. Yes. But I bring doubles. I bring a spare pedal board. I bring, I bring, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm just nuts when it comes to, I don't, I don't like to be embarrassed. <laughs> so what have you been bringing amp wise with Jackson? Do you have a few different things? Do you- uh, that's a long story, but mainly I, I have a Dumble modified deluxe reverb Okay. that I got from Michael Landau, who's a dear pal of mine. And, um, I, you know, I went, did the Dumble thing. I, 
went and auditioned for him and, and uh, to, you know, to make me an amp. Right. And, and um, seven years later, I was pulling my hair out like I couldn't get the thing. And then it turned out Jackson, I just didn't realize that he lived in Jackson's house, you know, in one of his homes. I think I knew it, but I didn't know that I didn't really want to call Jackson. I don't want to bug him. Anyway, Jackson got me the amp. So it, the amp that I got was a Fender basement head, like a blackface from the mid sixties. And it was too loud, but it was, boy, did it sound good. It was great. The, when I finally got it from Dumble. So I called Lando and I told him that, and I can tell this story now because God bless him. that Dumble's no longer with us, but it, he, you weren't allowed to even talk about it. He was people, he was just really eccentric. And uh, so you were definitely not allowed to trade amps. Anyway, Landau said, I've got a deluxe reverb. You can try it. You'll probably love it. And we could swap, you know? So I, I did that and I, I got this deluxe reverb. And ever since I got that amp, I've been unhappy with anything but, it, but that amp on, on the Jackson gig. And it's a weird thing. It's like, it just, when you hear it in a room, it just sounds like a really great Fender. That's, but it sounds good on any number. You could put it on 10 and it's, uh, it sort of sings where a deluxe reverb three and a half. That's kind of it. Right. You're done. Yeah. But, um, so I've been on a quest to find something else, you know, that, that I can use when the dumble goes down, which it inevitably will, you know, because when it goes down, I'm just like not happy. It just, you know, and I've got perfectly good equipment out there to use for spares. But I just bought a matchless amp because I have always liked matchless. I'm Phil Jameson at matchless hooked me up with a beautiful new amp called a Laurel Canyon, which sounds great. But, you know, I never know until I'm up there on a big stage, what it sounds like, you know, but that, and I have other, I just like blackface fender amps. I've got this silver face fiber Lux. I've got a, um, a John Sewer Badger that I really like. And um, I have just total amp acquisition syndrome lately. I've been just going through so many amps. But um, it, in hopes that I can get happy with something that's not this dumble, you know? So um, is that is the back of that amp poxied shut so it cannot be no. viewed by... Okay. No, it's not. I, you know, and he did do that, I think, you know, but this one's not. So, but I don't really have an amp guy that I, I mean, I have an amp guy. I shouldn't say this, but I, I'm scared to anybody to touch it, you know, because it's, you know. Well, do you know this fellow, Brandon Montgomery? In, no. in the, he has the, um, oh, I'm sorry, my brain is failing. His, what are his amps called again? He's out in Colorado. I'm sure there's people right now shouting at the. Uh, oh, is he a Dumble type of guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me just see. I think I know. I think is it Amp Nation? Uh, or no? Uh, there's a few of them. Glassworks. Brandon Montgomery. Um, oh come on, brain. Let's see what we got here. Amps. Um, here we go. Amps. Uh, Bluto Tone. Oh yes, I've heard of him. So what's interesting about him, and you know, because um, apparently Larry Carlton brought his dumbbells when he couldn't get a hold of Alexander, he he brought them to this guy to repair, and uh, and he's been the the thing that's crazy about Brandon, and as the story goes, is that he's got a photographic memory, so he works on these people's amps and he memorizes the circuits, 
And and one of the guys from Wildwood, where I do the videos out in Colorado, gave him Most a book. Of sk- best videos ever. Oh, thank you, sir. I've been doing more of them. <laughs> uh, so they've got, he gave them this book and he opened up to a random page and he said, I want you to take a look at this page. And Brandon looked at it, he shut it. And then uh, a little while later, he said, well, tell me what was on that page. And he was able to recite chapter and verse of what was on this this page. So it's it's real. He's got like this photographic memory. So apparently he's the kind of guy where you could call up and say, hey, you know, I want the front end of Robin Ford's amp and the back end of Rick Vito's amp. And he'd be like, okay, yeah, and build, and build it for you. So yeah, but yeah, I mean, I just want someone to take this amp and make another one. But yeah, I, I'm he'd probably do it. Yeah. I was thinking about doing it to to this Vibrolux. It's funny. There's a great guitar player named Bruce Foreman here in LA. Yeah, I, know, I know Bruce. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. He's fantastic. Yeah, he's he's ridiculous. But um, he had the last modified Fender by Dumble. Dumble built him a Vibrolux reverb, and Bruce was, you know, thinking about letting it go. And I was trying to, you know, I've done his little podcast. We're good buddies, and I'm trying to, you know weasel my way into it somehow you know and um i called him because i was thinking i wanted to make a play at it and i and um and i went and picked up the amp and i brought it home and alexander was alive Uh, anyway um i brought it home and i could not believe how good it sounded it was like mine but it was just magical and um so i called him i told him that i love it you know but he wanted a lot of money for it, you know, like 45 K. So I was thinking, okay, I'm going to sell my black guard. And I'm looking at, looking, went in the closet to see it was, you know, started sweating. And, um, and I ended up returning it to Bruce, to the studio he had it at. And then Alexander passed away like a week later. And, and inside that week, I actually, I called Bruce and I was going to do it. I was going to pony up for it, sell the Telecaster. And, and then Alexander passed away. And then, God, I think I might even have written the check, you know? <laughs> and, I, and I think I said to him, I, you know, we can't, now obviously we can't do this because the, who knows what your amp, what just happened to the value of it, you know? And um, yeah, I just, I, um, I, so, and he's my buddy, you know? So I just, you know, I would never want, uh, you know, I just wanted it to be fair and everything. So yeah, he was like, "Yeah, no, I'd, I'll just hang on to it." And I'm not sure what if he even still has it. I have a feeling he does. But is this the same Bruce Foreman as the great jazz guitar player, right? Yeah. No? yeah, 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 yeah. So I don't, I don't think he really, I don't really know if he uses the amp, but um, uh, yeah, it's there's something really magical about the what Alexander did with an amplifier. I mean, it's a weird thing because I can't tell by hearing it in a room so much, you know, but when I get on, on a gig with it, with loud drums and stuff, it's got a amazing focus. That's like, and it's super competitive. It's just really fast, you know? Um, it's a weird thing, you know, there's like not, not as spongy as a fender, you know, but yeah, it's, yeah, I, I'm so happy that I have one. Yeah, because they're uh, they're a little pricey these days. Yeah, right? a little bit. It, it's nuts. It is nuts. It is. It is wild when you think about you know what they're used for. Is basically 
you know, amplified folk music, right? Yeah. <laughs> and you got, yeah. Well, in order to do that, I'm going to need to get this $100,000 amplification device <laughs> to, to actually reproduce. Uh, it's crazy, but it, you know, I guess it just is what it is. It's the same way with, you know, just the whole idea of, of all the vintage guitars now. I mean, you know, we've gotten to the point now where Les Pauls forget it. You know, I mean, to buy an old burst, it's, it's not for, it's not for anybody that doesn't have you know access to either ancillary uh, organs that they don't need that they could <laughs> yeah they can uh, you know <clears throat> repurpose yeah. but you, you know and then you play those old guitars you like, yeah these are really something and then and then you get to the point now where it's like you know you got the the Murphy aged and painted Les Pauls which are awesome they're amazing they're 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 you know I'm playing one of them, but you know that's ten grand you know and it's just and I was I was saying to yesterday I was talking to a, a couple of guys who were doing a, a podcasty thing and and uh, I said you know my sweet spot's right around three four grand and I caught myself saying I was like well oh, you asshole there's people that can't afford a five hundred dollar guitar and you're saying your sweet spot is between four but that's kind of true right I mean that's kind of like oh that's not so bad yeah yeah well it's funny I've got incredible collection of guitars and my favorite telly is it's a fake. You know, it does have a 61 telly neck on it. Okay. What, so it does have that feel. But yeah, the one I always need with me is, yeah, it's, I don't even know what it is. I bought it in Chicago, Chicago Music Exchange. Oh, yes. And it was in a box. It was in a box with like six of them, Telecasters all lined up, strung up, with no pickups. And I said, and they were kind of reliced. And it was over 20 years ago, like, relicking kind of wasn't a thing yet and i said what are these you know and i picked it up and it played great didn't have pickups and he said oh we're not allowed to tell you so i never knew who built it because the guy didn't want to get in trouble you know oh i got you yeah yeah, yeah. yeah or, or copyright infringement or whatever but um yeah so i have a green telecaster that i put it's you know my favorite but i i have vintage ones too boy i love them but yeah you, you know i guess the amplifier on the other hand, like, boy, what that's all feels like it's more important. And to me, you know, like to get, to, to get happy on a gig, you know, boy, those amps, that's gotta be giving you really what you need. Yes, this is true. This is true. You know, it, it gets hard though, when you're so addicted to a certain thing, then if you do a fly in and you got to use whatever they have. Yeah. Could be Hot Rod DeVille. Yeah, exactly. That's that does the job, right? I even thinking I should buy one of those because I I was always happy with one of those. Like they're they really work. Yeah, Landau had that one that was. I bought uh, it. Did you? You got one of yeah. those? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I got rid of it because Landau's. It's nothing like a Hot Rod DeVille. It ah, looks like it, it doesn't have a master volume. If I remember correctly, it didn't have the master. And I'm kind of, you know, like playing with singer-songwriters. I can't play too loud, you know. So I, I actually did use the master volume on it, I think. You know, it, it was a pretty friendly one on the DeVille. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe I used the first channel without it. But I found that amp to be really, really musical. Yeah, it can be quite serviceable indeed. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have a problem if I see one of those. I'm like, oh, I can, I can handle that. Yeah, or a super reverb ish, or a, you know, twin, or any any of that stuff. We're we're good to go. 
I auditioned for Tracy Chapman and they said they had a good amp there for me. I showed up. It was a JC120. Now, <laughs> that's a good amp. I've and, I've had to use that and you can you can make it happen. Yeah, I I I, I struggled with it. I mean, it was it was an easy this particular one. And also struggled with the fact that she looked at me like she really just wasn't happy to meet me. <laughs> oh. And you said, give me one reason to stay here. <laughs> yeah. I said, Come on. Let's shred some blues. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, I did a thing with this buddy of mine's band. They it did a uh they do this thing every year. It's this really cool blues band from the Madison, Wisconsin area called the Jimmies. And they do a, a trip every year to some exotic port of call. And they have a special guest and his fans come and yada, yada, yada. And they did a Jamaican thing and I did it with them. And, and they said, what kind of amp you want? I was like, you know, any fender will probably do the trick, you know, <laughs> Dwayne or whatever. And I got down there and, and they're like, we're so sorry. You know, we'll have the fender for you tomorrow, but for today we've got a JC 120. And I brought, and I brought my Gristle King, you know, so I was like, I was cool. I was like, I just did the clean channel, but I always had a sweet spot for those amps because back in college, my uh, guitar professor had one of those and I would use it every now and again. And then Lonnie Mack used one for, to get that vibrato sound. So I put it on the vibrato sound and then I was like, yeah, this, and it, it was a good one. It was, you know, you, you could, it I had, a nice had one, I had one of those and uh, I saw Robin Ford you know, 40 years ago, and he was using one of those and a boogie the, the, the you know, and boy, incredible. So I had one and I had a, you know, a Jim Kelly, which was kind of like, I had a Jim Kelly. No way. Yeah. Where I had the, 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 the foot, the foot activated channel switcher. Exactly. Like, yeah. That amp kicked ass. I love that were, thing. Me too. Did it have the, the attenuator box? It, on? Absolutely. It was like a double deluxe. Oh my God. That, that has a good, was that as good as we think it was? It was fantastic. You know, and I, I was so pissed I sold it because I remember what happened is that was my main amp. I swore by it and uh, it had recordings and it just it sounded great with whatever guitar. And then I blew it up one time and I didn't know shit about amps back then. I didn't know sh tubes from, you know, whatever. So You broke it. it. Yep. It, it was like, what's wrong with this thing? And so I took it to my tech and, they, and he put at the time, it was very hard to get decent six V six tubes. And after he, you know, there, I, I blew a diode or something and he, they I, like, I know what that is, but he repaired whatever was wrong and, and put some different tubes in it and it didn't sound right. And I was like, what's wrong with anything? So then I talked to somebody and they gave me, um, Jim Demeter's phone number. They're like, if anyone will know, this guy will know. And I remember we called him up and he was just like, yeah, I have, I, I can't help you. And I'm like, okay. So then I ended up, um, swapping it with a friend to get an old, and it ended up with, uh, Jesse Johnson from the time as my old Jim. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Good, clean sound. Boy, what a good amp. Yeah. And I love that thing. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm not, that's the, let me circle back. I don't want to be negative about the JC 120. I mean, that. Uh, that is a good thing, but I wasn't thrilled that that was when that I was saw your it. option. I, yeah, I understand. <laughs> I understand. I get it. Back when I was auditioning for things, and I never, I never did well in auditions. Oh my god! And, well, that was actually years after I I had an audition, but you know there was an audition. I flew myself to it. 
you know, paid my flight in San Francisco and rented a car and, you know, didn't go well, but they never did. Auditions were never easy for me. Now, do they give you the tunes beforehand or what you're going to do? Yeah. Okay. I think so. I think so. It's been a while, but, uh, I just did audition for anything, just, you know, back of trying to get a gig, you know, and I'm a, I did an audition one time half-heartedly for Cher. And, I oh. was, and I, you know, I, I've shedded the music and I really had it. And I got it, went in there and I had a good sound going and I was thinking, I might actually get this gig. And, uh, and then I just, in a solo, I hit like a clam, like a really really bad one you know <laughs> just one, <laughs> one of those notes that was super noticeable i mean you're only one fret away from the one of those notes at all times but um and the the mute the md just quickly turned his head over at me and i just knew like oh you just screwed this whole deal she wasn't there but yeah but that yeah. but you know i i, I bet people would like to you know understand that you know as this business goes 99% of the time it's because you're you know somebody who's in charge of doing the hiring am i right they know you so. they know what you do they know your thing they know you're easy to work with and then it's just you work that's with them right. and the, yeah that's right i mean this was in the beginning i'm establishing myself and you know just like and i always tell people oh well, what's, what's your advice and my advice is just do every anything you can do you know right right exactly because eventually the people will start recommending you you know right exactly yeah. correct yeah yeah i would say say yes to everything unless it involves some kind of physical compromise that might be unsavory <laughs> Yes, <laughs> we are not completely unlike hookers and yes. us guitar players. <laughs> I was remember this one time I got called up to do some jingle session and they, they called up and they said, do you play flamenco guitar? And I said, well, how long is the spot? And they said, 30 seconds. I go, yes, I can. <laughs> <laughs> That's and so I, funny. <laughs> then I, I proceeded to buy like a $300 nylon string guitar. And then I, I went to the, the Wauwatosa library here and got a Paco de Lucia record and listened to it on the way down to Chicago to go to the session. And then I went in there and it, and it, was, it wasn't like a solo piece. It was just like I had to do a couple of nylon stringy things over oh. a, you know what I mean? I was like, yeah. okay. You would have killed that. But it's funny. That story is funny because I had the same scenario that, um, the bass player in Jack Shit, who's like a big brother to me, Davey Farragher, he always said to me, you know, he he calls me Bo. You know, because we're in Jack. He's like Bo, never say no. You know the rule. Always <laughs> say yes. And somebody asked me, the great songwriter David Barrowald. He said, "Do you play uh, nylon string? You know, like the like." I think it flamenco is what he might have said, and I said, "Yeah, sure, you know." <laughs> and I, of course, I failed. You know, I went in there and like, it. It was like I thought it would just need that sound, but it needed proper, you know, and it, it just didn't really work out. But he was a buddy, and we just laughed it off, you know. But <laughs> but that's true. You don't say no. No. You do it. And then, and then how many, how, how weird is it that like some of the things that end up being the most like longstanding gigs that you do are something you never would have even conceived of in the first place. Right. It's like you go into some place and you're making a connection with somebody like, 
oh, now this is happening? And they're like, yeah, we're going to do this. Like, what? It's just one of those things. It's, you know, I guess they, the whole idea of uh, be kind of open to whatevs and the old universe will just say, hey, bro, That's here's true. this. Yeah, I believe it. You just don't be an arrogant person. Knucklehead. As I like no. to say, don't, don't be a douche knuckle. No, you know, because some <laughs> people think, oh, I'm, I can't play with these people. I'm beyond this, you know. No, you know, you could everything. Never say no. <laughs> exactly. You know, you've been a Southern California fellow your whole life. Am I right? Yeah. So well, with, with uh, you know, so many people seem to be relocating to Nashville. Um, has that ever crossed your mind over the years? Or you're just like, all my connections are here. All the people I work with are here. I'm staying put. Um, you know, I, if Trump gets reelected, I'm moving to Canada. No, sorry. Didn't mean to do that. <laughs> That's what I've been thinking. No, um, you know, I have thought about it and I've had friends move to, um, Nashville, uh, you know, and New York, but for me, I just love it here. And, um, I really do like it. I worry about the fires, you know, we live yeah, in a yeah. fire zone. So there's that, that worry. And, um, and of course the cost of living is stupid. Um, so I have sort of lately as I'm getting older, been thinking, Oh, where do I want to end up? You know? And, um, I always, I always just think, you know, I'm pretty, I think it's going to be right here. You know? Yeah. 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 Well, I, you know, I, I, I like Southern California. I remember the, Oh, like, you know, a lot of people, Oh, there's too many people and this, that's like, yeah, but the weather is fantastic and you can get any food that you want. And it's that you're, you know, there's all these different, beautiful, uh, you know, geographical things that are around the area. So yeah, I have, I, I can see staying there. If you're all the, musicians and yes scene is quite a scene and i was playing tennis yesterday you know well, I mean, there you go yeah i mean okay. it is kind of warm today it's like 42 degrees is it? <laughs> <laughs> no where, where are you you're, I'm, you're in, in, I'm in milwaukee yeah you're in milwaukee wow yeah. yeah willie lives about a mile away from me oh my god he's a funny guy boy and wow what a i love he's the first time i heard your name was was when uh, Willie was playing with uh, touring with Vonda Shepard and he was telling me, you've got to hear this guy, Greg Cock. You're not, you're, you're, you're love each other. You're not going to believe him, you know? And uh, did you play on that record that, that uh, he was touring a record that had a beautiful song. I'd be shocked if you remember, but it was called paper airplane. And um, he had a song about paper airplanes. It was really, yeah, that's, that's a beautiful tune. I did not play on that one. I played on his um, falling forward record. Right. Uh, but I did not I remember play that too. Yeah. Well, I was, I love him and, um, the way he would like, he's just so brilliant. Did he do a thing on the gig where he would have people just throw out random words and then he'd, oh, write, yeah. he'd write a song out of it? Yeah. Like, and like never a bad song. <laughs> like, right. Like, exactly. How yeah, does he do that? <laughs> yeah. He's, he can uh, he can do that with great ease. It's a glorious thing. There's a guy in L.A. The um, uh, incredible producer. Okay, now I'm going to have my Alzheimer's. Um, uh, uh, 
Oh, I can't think of his name, but he's like a, he's like an, an, when people come to LA, I always recommend they, you know, they're going to go to Disneyland, they're going to do the LA things. And he is an attraction and he does the same thing where he, um, like people call out requests during his show. And then at the end of the show, he plays a medley of all of them, but he doesn't really acknowledge that he heard them coming in. But at the end of the, during his set and at the end of it, he um, he plays a medley of them, like a, in an amazing way. Why can't I think of his name? He produced Amy Mann. He's an incredible guitar player um, and drummer and everything. He played everything. Oh, oh. I'm feeling the pressure. <laughs> My brain shuts down. So he just hears the request and then recycles it in some glorious way and puts yeah. it together. But it's deeper than that. He goes back and, and to the drum kit, he plays a loop. Then he gets up from that, goes on the piano and plays something that magically drones through the medley. And then he plays guitar. It, it's John. Um, why can't I think of it? Yeah, he's just one of the geniuses here wow. in town. But um, I always recommend go to Malibu, go you know to the Apple Pan for a burger, go to this gig, go to, you know. Yes. Well, hopefully we'll hook up when I'm, I'm going to be out there in January doing some some gigs, coming out with the trio with my son and the organ player. Oh, I love it. And so we'll be there in, um, I think, the second, third week in January or something like that. I'll keep you apprised. Oh, fantastic. Do you know, where did where are you playing? Well, last time we were in town, we, we did a thing at the Baked Potato, and that went really well, but it wasn't available this time for the time slot that we're going to be here, so we're going to do three of those Cadillac Zach gigs. So we're going to do the you know the Tarzana, uh, the Maui Sugar Mill, and probably something down in Long Beach, and then um, what's the other place that he usually books? A place called either Mulvaney's or something like that, and it's out in in the west, you know, eastern. Oh, my God. Fantastic. I'm here, so I'll be there. Excellent. Well, listen, thanks so much for hanging out today. You made my uh, you made my week here, doggone it. It's, well, you're uh, one of my favorite super pickers of all time. I mean, oh, I, I likewise, mean, I, my friend. I just can't believe some of the things that you do. It's uh, truly upsetting and, <laughs> and arousing. <laughs> That's oh disturbing and, and complimentary <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> well, thank you so much. And I look forward to hopefully seeing you uh, in a couple of months. In the meantime, you know, have good holidays and all that kind of stuff. And uh, we'll hopefully see you soon. You too, Gregory. Thank you, man. All right. Have a good one. Take it easy, pal. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for tuning in, ladies and gentlemen. We absolutely appreciate you caring and checking out these podcasts. We certainly have a good time doing them. Again, it's brought to you by our friends at Wildwood Guitars in Louisville, Colorado. Don't be afraid to go to wildwoodguitars.com. Check out what they have going on. I actually go there every night and visit their new arrivals page. It's kind of a kind of an illness, really. And of course, our friends at Fishman Transducers, fishman.com, making all the greatest accoutrements for your stringed instruments. Stay tuned for more. Greg Koch here. Thanks so much for tuning in.